Hello and welcome to Selling Stories. Today we look at the ECW tag team division in the 1990s and the way Paul Heyman crafted the Eliminators into being the most undefeatable and undeniable tag team in professional wrestling. ECW had a balanced approach somewhere between WCW and WWE during the Attitude Era. While teams like Public Enemy made the company and the Dudleys pushed them onward and upward, there was a mix of great singles wrestlers who held tag belts. In the early days of ECW expansion, it would be the Pitbulls who would be the dominant force of the scene. The Bad Breed would have their short reign in the sun as well, but it would be the Eliminators who would really define the ECW's tag team story and what it was about. Starting out in the USWA, Perry Saturn and John Cronus brought incredible size and agility to the ring. Their in-ring presentation was based loosely on the Bulldog's Heart Foundation dictomy of a powerhouse and a technician. The thing was, Cronus was such an able and gifted powerhouse, it was hard to tell who was the technician. And for his part, Saturn showed some incredible strength. Both were well-versed in martial arts from their days as bouncers and managers in nightclubs. That added dimensions to their characters that were unstable, angry, and hungry for success. They debuted in the USWA under the booking of Jerry Lawler, who gave them the name The Eliminators. They had a good start in the territory winning the tag team titles, but it was clear by 1994 they had done everything that they could. They moved on to Genichiro Tenere's war promotion for a long tour, developing their skill sets and abilities in the King's Road-style company. They would, in turn, be scouted by Paul Heyman. They were excellent finds for Heyman and the classic ECW signing, a little rough around the edges for the big leagues, but with character all their own. When they picked up a surprise win in their opening series with the Steiner Brothers, people took notice. When they went on to beat the ECW top um, dogs, the Pitbulls, people really took notice. Beating the best tag team in the world and the most popular tag team in ECW in less than three months, they were going places and fast. By the time the gangsters showed up, they were perceived as an unstoppable force, just as Heyman intended. They were far cry from the slavish Road Warriors copy, though, and Heyman was lucky, or smart, that every team they faced would be of world-class calibre. Each win meant they defended themselves in a different environment. They beat the pure wrestlers in the Steiners, they beat the powerhouse pitbulls, and then went on to face on the ultimate brawlers, the gangsters. While Mustafa and New Jack weren't exactly, you know, any good, they had charisma to burn and they knew how to make an entrance. The Eliminators had taken the titles from the haplessly dysfunctional Maker Whipwreck on his way to the WWF arrogant sellout Cactus Jack. Heading straight into the feud with the gangsters gave them depth to their personas. Sure, they would out-wrestle anyone and out-stunt everyone. Now it's time to go down to the nitty-gritty of the ECW product. Violence. However, the feud would be long-range. Having taken the titles in February, the Eliminators wouldn't drop them again until August of 1996. They would lose their title at the Doctor is In event, a portent for the future of the team. As explored earlier in this series, the Eliminators' narrative demanded they face defeat the best competition available. Who better than the Miracle Violence Connection? As once said by the Road Warriors manager, Paul Ellering, winning titles are a matter of achievement. Ruling the wrestling world is a matter of pride. That was exactly the effect Paul Hyman was after with the Eliminators, one of his greatest creations. The public enemy may have been a groundbreaking team, but they were needs must, thrown together by Heyman, who guided them into being world beaters. The Eliminators were naturals in the roles they were given. Over the months of the title dominance, they showed signs of dissension, but when it got down to it, they came up with the goods. They would take the titles back in December of 1996. The next team on the horizon was Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon. They were the two most talented workers of the ever-evolving and heinously wicked Dudley family. Turning face by default, the Eliminators would lose the title on Hardcore TV in December of 96. It said it was one of the most dominant title performances ever seen on a pay-per-view at the company's debut by Illegal. Legal. After the Dudley's increasingly long introduction by Joel, insert double entendre-laced poem here, Gertner, the Eliminators stormed the ring and destroyed the Dudleys and their entourage in just over six minutes. It set them up as ECW, as the team in the company. The men to watch, and they were the poster boys for Extreme. Much like the ROH narrative has been dominated by the Briscoes, Gabe Sapolsky and his successors learned from the master.
However, the mega push would be turned up to be all for naught. Perry Saturn would be out for the health reasons shortly after with a torn ACL. Taking stock of his position, Saturn felt that Cronus was not pulling his weight in the team and refused to reform the Eliminators on his return to action. While Cronus soldiered on with a new partner, New Jack, to form the short-lived Gangstonators, Saturn would be heading to WCW, and the Eliminators in era in ECW was over. ECW often used the tag team scene to elevate singles wrestlers. It offered balance between WCW's tag titles or tag for tag teams approach and WWS let's make stars anywhere we can concepts. The next major North American company to find long-term success with tag wrestling as a strong narrative purpose would be TNA. While due is usually given to the company's X division as to its earlier success, and rightly so, it was still a Southern promotion helmed largely by Southern bookers like Jerry Jarrett. If there was one strong narrative they understood better than anything else, it would be tag team wrestling. While their current tag team division has been decimated into two great teams in the Dirty Heels and the Walls, historically speaking, their tag team division has produced great wrestling, has been as fruitful in making homegrown stars. Chris Starris and James Storm, America's Most Wanted, were the first team to take the NWA as it was then, Gold, who were tr- true tag team superstars. It would be the narrative of Storm's TNA tenure, shining with a partner but never quite getting over the hump by himself. Harris was a cool, calm and collective promo, but the two heavyweights were poetry in motion when it came to tag team wrestling, in and out of the title picture for most of the NWA era of the TNA. It wasn't just them that made their division tick. The Naturals and Team Canada vied for supremacy, but thanks to the better promo skills and their dominant style, AMW became TNA's most wanted tag team. Upon the demise of America's Most Wanted, with Harris eventually moving on to the WWE, came Beer Money Incorporated. Seemingly an unnatural pairing on paper, the smooth, stylish, slip-back, money Bobby Roode and uncouth cowboy James Storm, Beer, was perhaps the best showcase on how to grow solo careers out of a tag team division. Roode had been part of Team Canada when they were forced to break up after losing match stipulation to Jay Lethal, Rhino and Team 3D. In a promo that was a sparkling parody of the Four Horsemen reunion in WCW, Scott Demore singled out Roode as the future world's champion. But how to get him from here to there? Beer Money would be that vehicle. Their success, four TNA World Tag Team titles, was matched with a high standard of in-ring quality and work rate as well as charisma to burn. When the team was heading for a breakup, it wasn't immediately obvious who would be the chosen one. In fact, both ended up being the world's heavy first heavyweight champion. Storm first, but it was Rude who was the long-term bat. However, he would clearly not have gotten there without some championship calendar for performances, the ones that Beer Money afforded them. Tag wrestling has come a long way since then, of it being a new, fresh attraction under Toots Mont. Teams like the world's cutest tag team, the Wolves, the Sendai Sisters, Dirty Heels, the Addiction, the Usos, Bullet Club, the Kingdom, Time Splitters and the Young Bucks are redefining tag team wrestling in companies all over the world. I, for one, am very glad to see it. And that final portion gives us a taster of what would happen with tag team wrestling in the rest of the 2010s. And here we are in 2020. As I record last night, this, last night, Kenny Omega and Adam Page became the AEW World Tag Team Champions, tearing down the house with the Young Bucks in an AEW pay-per-view. And over in Japan, we have Kota Ibushi and Hiroshi Tanahashi in one of the hottest tag team feuds with Finn Juice and G.O.D. Tag team wrestling is healthy, and when I wrote these articles in 2015, it surely wasn't. But I'm glad to see it's on an even keel. My name's James Trupany. Thank you for listening today. This has been Telling Stories, a Trupany Show podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Troopany Show. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show. And you can find us on Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Please listen to our sponsors. That'll be Powerslam.tv and also Indie Empire Wrestling Magazine. Thank you for listening today. Please go listen to Sheriff Lone Star and the Deputies of Heartbreak. You can find them on Bandcamp forward slash Sheriff Lone Star. <laughs> 